<laughs> the other thing that happened this week was I realised that I hadn't paid my road tax on my car uh-huh. for three months. Oh. Because, turns out, and this is a life lesson number 107 if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, if you're updating your address when you change address... Yes. You have to do more than simply update the address on your driving license. You have to update that weird bit of paper which you get when you buy a car. I think it's called a V5. I did not know this. And it turns out the DVLA have likely been sending reminder letters to me and all sorts of other information to my old address. And I was driving around my car. And again, I am a criminal admitting this on, on air. I was driving around my car untaxed for can't two and a it. half months. Can't believe it. What I can't believe is that no one, like, I wasn't stopped. No one no one clearly had pulled me over. There were no cameras. I even got a parking ticket in that time and they clearly didn't mm. check. Well, maybe you get a little bit of leeway, you know? I mean, two and a half months. Don't think so. Two and a half does seem far more leeway than the, the authoritarian <laughs> system here would allow. But you, you, you never know. Maybe. Maybe, uh, maybe you're allowed up till three before you start getting stopped. I did get a, when I paid for the tax, I realised, oh, hmm, I, it's usually around this time I pay for my, my road tax. I paid for it, and then a little in the middle screen popped up to say, hello there, we noticed you didn't pay your road tax for two and a half months. The DVLA may be in touch to find out why. Oh. Uh, because you're apparently meant to register your car off-road if you don't tax it. Yeah, yeah. Give it a, I think it's called a SORN. Yeah, yeah. Which I did not do. Which is fair. So I may just blame Brexit. Or the pandemic. Yeah, it's, Bre- it's, Bre- it's Brexit's fault, yeah. I was told I wouldn't need road tax because it has something to do... Because the car's French, that's why. I don't need it. Michael Gove called up and he said, we don't we don't tax the foreign cars anymore. I had a chat with Michael Gove in a nightclub in Aberdeen a couple of weeks ago and he said, I didn't need to do it. So, uh, yeah, that that's, yeah. that's one thing which I, I feel bad about because, you know, from the, the Clio I have... That's at least £4.50. I'm being serious there. That's at least £4.50 I technically owe DVLA for the last uh, two and a half months. Right. This is, again, we're switching right into news. Golf got an upgrade, right? What do you mean? He, as, like, as what? He, as in they give him new parts? Cabinet shuffling's happened, and Golf is a, oh. isn't just like the Duchy of Lancaster or whatever it is anymore. <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest, I completely missed my radar. I was not particularly interested. Did someone get fired? Did someone get moved? Yeah. They reshuffled lots of things in cabinets. I think Gove got education sick and the old one got nothing. I'll be honest. I do feel a Maybe. bit like it's a, a prize at a charity gig. Do you know when they you buy raffle tickets? Right, yeah. And just at the end of what, every six months, every year, they chuck everyone's name back into the raffle just hat. In the tumble, yeah. And they pull it out and say, okay, Michael Gove, you got Justice Secretary, hooray! And everyone goes, yeah. Because uh, nothing changes. It doesn't matter who's doing what, nothing changes. It's just all Tory. Um, but I think, I think Rab got moved to like being the Chief Justice or something and the Deputy PM. What? So I don't know how he did that. What did that. Matt Hancock get? Uh, uh, I don't remember. I didn't look at this too closely <laughs> and I forgot until oh. right now when we talked about golf for a second. <laughs> I don't think Matt Hancock got anything uh, other than that. Actually, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> he got other things. He certainly did. Mm. <laughs> anyway, back to the car. Yeah. One other thing which has happened is uh, now that I live in a very, very middle-class development, I have an assigned parking space. Oh, you're, you're one of those types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens, though, is if you park in someone else's space, a couple of things happen. Either you'll get a passive-aggressive note left in your windscreen, mm-hmm. 
to say you've parked in the wrong bit of gravel. Wow. Or on the the development Facebook group, someone will take a picture of your car and oh, with nice. a threatening comment to say, who is parked in this bit move? So, mm-hmm. so the dilemma I found myself in today is I've come back from work and someone is in my spot. <gasps> and I, do, I don't know, like, do I now go and leave a note on someone's windscreen to say, hey? No, no, you gotta change this system. Go and leave a gift. <laughs> That's not a euphemism. No, I like a literal, give them like a box of quality street or something so that then they feel guilty. <laughs> Say like, oh, you parked in the wrong spot, but I, I thought I'd give you a little commemorative gift. <laughs> okay, right, yeah, that that could work. I mean, it's similarly to what I did uh, last year, actually. It turned out that the downstairs neighbours, who are uh, very old mm-hmm. and dislike the fact that they have to have neighbours, right? they had given Christmas cards <laughs> to everybody in <laughs> the chose- block. Hang on, hang on. They chose to live in a space with close neighbours and they don't like the fact they have neighbours. Yeah, the, the, the last time I actually saw them or spoke to them was when my parents were here and the downstairs neighbour man, who's quite an older uh, an older gentleman, oh, yeah, came upstairs to complain that we were walking too loudly. Yeah, oh dear. They need to reconsider their decisions of where they live <laughs> if they're going to complain about that. Anyway, but, story. But on the, on the passive-aggressive front, it turned out last Christmas, they had given Christmas cards to everyone in the block right? except me. <laughs> And uh, because I'm friendly with the, the neighbours upstairs and across the hall. So I was just like, That's right. That's the funniest thing. I will write you a Christmas card so that you are forced to write me one back. Yes. And uh, that, that's that's what I did. I did consider the gift, but then I thought, no, that's uh, that would be too much. I don't like them that much. Yeah. If at all. There's a balance to it. Well, welcome to the gift that keeps on oh. giving. Seesaw Parade. Oh, we balanced... Good and bad humour, flawlessly. <laughs> Episode 264, with your beleaguered hosts, Colin and he's James. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, welcome to the show, your new favourite podcast, yeah. Colin's least dull podcast. Absolutely. The longest running season one of any Scottish entertainment slash news slash politics slash sports slash entertainment mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. in history. And also, once again, thank you to everyone from uh, for Fourth Valley oh, hello. College yeah. for listening. <laughs> Or in the Fourth Valley region generally, who may also be listening. You know what? Thank you to everybody else too, though. I don't want you to feel left out for two weeks in a row. We're, I'm doing that tomorrow, which is Wednesday. So oh. any any oh wisdom goodness. you would give the students who will be listening to me? Is the topic just like how to be podcast? Uh, yeah, essentially, yeah. Um, Just do a lot of practice. That's, that's good advice. Like genuinely, you only get good by talking a lot. There's no, there's no like way to skip the talking a lot part unless you're a very good conversationalist already. Even then, you have to transfer that into a slightly different tone and a slightly different mood. So you just, you keep going. And if you don't want to put out your first recording because it is really bad, you don't have to record more. Just keep going until you got one you're happy with. Do you know what I'll do? I'll just, I'll just cut that and play it tomorrow in the the seminar. Oh, and that's really awkward, though. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, so no. I do the show with someone else, but he's not here, so here's his voice recorded giving you advice. No, just transcribe it and then read it out loud <laughs> in your best impression of me. I can't. I, I, this is the other thing I learned. I, I actually just cut it. Put your fingers in your nose. Okay. Basically. Okay, I'm doing it. And then just talk. <laughs> <laughs> 
and then just talk. So we'll see. It's it's a little bit nasally. Perfect but impression. It's not quite the it's not quite the accent we're going for. Though. <laughs> it's it's like I've left the monitor on. It, it's uh it is something I actually edited off of last week's show. Was uh, a recent advert I did where I did various <laughs> different accents, and honestly, it was oh. it was really bad. But it it reinforces once again. <laughs> I cannot do accents for the life of me. Did that section not make the cut? I didn't listen to last week's one. It did, no, it, no, it did not. I, I chucked off the entire thing. If The thing is, once that advert airs, which it may well on TV, it's been sent to the distributors. Right, yeah. So this advert may well be on TV in the near future. If and when that does happen, we'll bring it up again because people will be unable to tell. Well, actually, no. People will probably know it's me <laughs> because they'll be like, hey, that just sounds like Colin attempting to do... The, the accent of someone who has learned how to speak English in their late 20s. Just make sure to keep the segment so we can publish it late. Pretend it's in the moment. <laughs> okay. Well, this is uh, yeah, Seesaw Parade. Thank you very much for listening. You can get in touch with the show at Seesaw Parade on Twitter. You can also email us, seesawparade at gmail.com, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with anything you would like to contribute to what we're talking about on the show, as well as a review of anything that you have seen. Anything. Or a, a TV show you have finished, maybe a nice bird that flew past the window the other day. Yeah. Something nice that you ate. Whatever it is, review it. Send it to us and we will get to it in the review section. Your favourite star, and I mean an actual star, not like celebrity. I don't care about like, that. I was, I was about to say Lady Gaga, but... Uh, Maybe your favourite? I mean, she seems like a nice person. She does seem pretty genuine. Yeah, she seems like she'd be fun. Yeah, I, I think I think she'd be a good fun um, person to hang around with. I, I There's the amount of interviews and things uh, I see of famous people. It is quite difficult sometimes to get a grasp of what they're like... Really, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds, in everything I've seen him, be that as an actor or when he's just doing a press interview, seems like he would just be the best person to hang around with. I don't know if that's actually him or that's just the persona he does. Yeah, exactly. I think the way to, to see it is just to find the the, be- the behind the scenes videos of stuff like that, not the actual interviews and things, well, but all the all the extras. So like Tom Cruise shouting and swearing at staff and threatening that they're going to get fired. Like Tom Cruise shouting and swearing, um, but also just like the the goodbye speeches that they give to their cast and crew and things like that at the end of filming. Okay. Uh, all of those little things. The more human elements of a, of a person. I mean, we are talking about personas. This is just a persona. I'm not really this uh, gay. <laughs> <laughs> I just, only on certain times. Di- Sorry, it's only when we do the podcast. It tones it up like an extra 50%. Yeah. Uh, exactly, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, you know, if you met me outside, you'd be like, man, this guy is so... Hetero and mask, it's incredible. He'd be a bit, a bit sad actually, because he could tell it's a little bit fake. <laughs> I'm just doing it so we can uh, tick a box, basically, <laughs> enter ourselves into different awards. We can get into the LGBT awards. We can. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I mean, ultimately, I'm insulting myself because you know, it's uh, something. Sorry, this is again tangent upon tangent. Yes, I am. I'm turning thirty later. Uh, well, Pretty just over a, just over a month. Indeed. And uh, it hit me as I recorded a, a video for a friend in America who does not listen to this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't seen since... So, like, that kind of friend. The, yeah, the kind of friend who, like, who, who does... Who I'm friends with and who likes me, but doesn't like <laughs> me enough to actually invest any sort of time in anything I do. 
which yeah. you know I, I really do appreciate the people who <laughs> who listen to the show and you know share it or or recommend it to people because they care. Whereas I do have other friends who shall remain nameless, which is basically everybody. <laughs> Who know the show happens mm-hmm. and have never listened oh, to it. Never. Which sucks. Like, you listen to it once. If it's not your thing, fine. But don't be like, oh, I've never listened to that show. Why? Your life is not that busy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> sorry. This friend. I think I dug up something there. I'm sorry. <laughs> she touched a nerve. Um, this friend in the States who I've not seen since the end of 2019. And, uh, yeah, pre-pandemic, usually would have seen him every single year. And I was recording this video in my car because we were finally kind of catching up. We, we, we He realized that clearly life has happened in the last couple of years. Right. For me. Yes. You know, lo- lots of realizations, a lot of acceptances. But I, as I'm recording this video, I'm thinking, I'm nearly 30 years old. I'm still mm-hmm. dealing with, yeah, like, coming out to people. And that's rubbish <laughs> it's like right, yeah, it is it sucks it sucks and i just thought oh what are the last like 10 years in some ways and this is a i'm i want to avoid totally uh rubbishing the last 10 years of life but the last 10 years in some ways have been a bit of a waste indeed in certain aspects of life and that frustrates me beyond yeah any sort of the podcast segment could ever explain that certain parts of life have just been like even at this stage, turning 30, still having to kind of tell people, oh, by the way, yeah, this is a, a thing I've I've decided I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, can, I, can I just figure that stuff out like in 2009? Yeah, or just, I know, Sorry, right? not figured it out. Just come to the same conclusion 12 years earlier. Oh, I, I think that's a, still a commonality between a lot of the different um, communities of groups who are varying degrees of outcast or varying degrees of unacceptable, which in right, the right. UK ranges all the way up to like transgender folks still who are just completely uh, the victims constantly of, of open bigotry that is going completely defended by the media and stuff like that. Yep. That the big struggle of dealing with it leads to decades of wasted years and putting that in quotes because i do think those years matter and we grow through them and all of those things certainly Um, yeah and there is this just commonality between all these groups of of people who just wish time travel invented so they could go back (laughs) and relive their late teens or early 20s those nicer more energetic years as they really could have and it, it is very sad but that's why we need to fight hard for acceptance movements to be successful and that's why we need to fight hard for education on these things to start young and i'm not saying education like indoctrinate the kids which is how, how a lot of groups pretend education does yeah what i'm saying is teach the kids to be accepting because they should be and they should know these things exist and not to be shocked by it because the more people are shocked by them the less comfortable it is when you're making that transition or when you realize it about yourself and all those things so yeah you suffered and that means that the best thing to do is fight for other people not to have to we will talk about news in a second i promise but this is a, it's a good tangent just to that point when you talked about time travel it is something which i used to spend a lot of time uh, feeling a bit sorry for myself and regretting the fact or wishing that I could actually go back to the start of high school yeah. and just do everything again because I would have done it completely differently. But, of course, there is absolutely zero point wasting energy and time on something which is completely futile and, and absolutely pointless. So the only thing you can do whilst feeling, as I say, regretful and uh, annoyed yeah. that things I didn't do things the way that in hindsight I would have 
I think most of us are in the same boat, perhaps just not about, you know, accepting that you uh, like men. Yeah, but I also think that even for people who identify as completely cis, completely like just the standard. Oh, no, no, sorry. So just just beyond sexuality, I mean, like mental health wise, life decision wise, everything. Exactly, exactly. This is what I'm saying. I think everybody has one of those struggles or many of those struggles that they have to deal with eventually. And then they'll yearn for the ability to have done it sooner, to have got through it sooner. And honestly, I think that when it comes to the different spectrums of sexuality and gender and all those things, that it is going to be discovered that all of them were far more common than we know statistically because it was so difficult for people to accept and therefore we're still seeing yeah, yeah. i would guess the majority of people still not actually accepting it for themselves uh, the fun stat that i see for this is a graph showing the uh, the self-declared dominant hand <laughs> and how it went from people declaring like like below one percent of people declaring themselves as left-handed when it was like yeah. bad and unacceptable has risen to like 12 in in the decades since it became more just accepted that some people have a different dominant hand. And if if that's the self-reporting on your dominant hand, imagine how much more skewed the stats are for things that are life-changing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, a, a tricky segue to to go from that to or to news, but let's go from wasted energy to no energy. Hey, which is the, the current way things are going in the UK. Thanks, Boris. Okay, let's uh, crack on with this headline from. Uh, the start of the week, which was that the UK's sixth largest energy company, Bulb, yeah. which, by way of uh, insight, is the energy supplier of my own household, hey. is seeking a bailout to stay afloat. Yes. And this is because gas prices have exploded. Mm-hmm. So the company, uh, Bulb, which has almost two million customers, is uh, working with investment banks to uh, attempt to sort out its balance sheet. Yeah. But, James, it's the latest energy company battling to stay afloat. We've already had uh, at least three firms, smaller firms, going out of business in the Oof. last couple of weeks, with more expected. So, uh, James, we'll talk more about why this is happening in a second, uh, but just give me your, your, your thoughts on the bigger picture. Well, when it comes to things like the the gas companies and the electricity companies, and even when you're not in Scotland and maybe in other places, water companies and stuff like that, it just makes me think, like, what is the point? Why are these things owned by businesses? Why are they owned privately? Because it is one infrastructure. It's not like when you switch gas supplier, the old company comes along and pulls out the gas mains, and then the new company comes in and puts new pipes in, feeding it from their infrastructure. It's all shared infrastructure, and the same goes for electricity, water. It's just different companies doing the maths. Yep. So why on earth are we having to struggle with this now? And it's just because we privatized stuff some time ago. And instead of actually just running our own systems with taxpayers' money, which can actually more fluidly deal with highs and lows without being seen as as gaining or losing money, uh, we're, we're dealing with crisis because we can't afford, as, it cost, as consumers, the sudden price rise that might have been far more manageable with a, a tax-run situation. And instead, we're going to be paying it with taxes anyway. So we're still going to pay the bill. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so so just to, to to add to this, at the start of this year, there were seventy energy suppliers in the UK, <laughs> but uh, industry sources and seventy seems a lot. I did not know there was that many. Yep, this is this is ridiculous. But anyway, sources are saying that uh, there could be as few as ten <laughs> by the end of this year. So we've seen Utility Point has gone under People's Energy, which is in Edinburgh. It's gone down, and that's mm-hmm. uh, it supplied uh, electricity and gas to over three hundred and fifty thousand homes. Wow. And uh, yeah, by the looks of things, as I say, if Bulber are struggling, then I expect we'll see other similar sized firms also uh, going to the wall or perhaps attempting to stay away from said wall. The, the figures here from Oil and Gas UK show that the wholesale price of gas has gone up by 250% since January. Yeah. It is, uh, it's gone up by almost, well, yeah, almost half since August and it's something like it was 20 pence per I want to say perm I think it's measured in perm or it's measured in something else but anyway gas was the the measurement of gas was 20p it is now over 250p or 2 pound 50 pretty big increase now the, the problem here and I learned this yesterday is that the suppliers will buy their gas in bulk mm-hmm. way ahead of time right so they are so they're always getting essentially the cheapest price but the smaller the firm you are yeah, the yeah, less yeah. amount of gas you can buy in advance and so they're having to buy gas now when it's super expensive yes. which is why the big 6 you know, Scottish Power and uh, EDF, places yeah, like that. Yeah, they have the reserves. They'll be fine. Yeah. But it's it's the little ones and it's all the other homes who are under said little ones who are going to really struggle to actually survive the next few months. And depending on the winter we have, could be horrendous out there, both for the companies going under, but also for people who are unable to afford heating yeah. their own homes. And th- this is yet another, like, even if you want to allow all of these things that are of basically national import to be privatized and to have private options. This is just even more evidence that we need public options for every single utility that we need to get through life. And that includes things like the internet. We've learned over the course of the pandemic that things like the internet are key to the uh, development of uh, children, for, to the access um, uh, to access of almost everything that you need as an adult. Um, and that goes all the way up to retirees, of course. So all of these things, we cannot just be depending on companies to be keeping them afloat or keeping them going because they're driven by profit and loss. They're only ever going to be driven by profit and loss, not by actually supplying what's needed. Okay, in the last half hour, we've also had an announcement from Green. This is a Tuesday evening, by the way. Green have said they're on the brink of collapse due to soaring gas prices. And uh, Ofgem have said that the cost of protecting customers, as in all of us who are listening to this, uh, is going to lead to higher bills, which... Yeah, is or was expected. They're already going up. Mine has already gone up. My energy bills have gone up, let's say, 22 quid a month as of June time. Yeah. And uh, off Gem, who are the essentially the people in charge, what are they called? The watchdog mm-hmm. in the energy sector, they put a price cap every six months on how much energy prices or energy firms can charge customers. The next time they can raise it, I believe, is February. Something like that, yeah. So I fully expect that will go 
up considerably. <laughs> so, James, just just sorry, just to ask you a question here, though, what what is the the options the government have? Because obviously, the firms are going to need are going to need a lot of money to get them through the uh, the even buying gas in the first place. Or do you give money to? everyone in the UK to say, hey, here's a little helping hand to help you pay your bills. It's yeah, it's all it's all like different ways around a square, right? You're you're going from point A to point B. Okay. There is not enough money to pay for the thing. Uh, the government's gonna decide how we pay for it, whether they handle it directly or they hand out like credits to the nation, blah blah blah. Um but hopefully it's just lessons learned in the long run that we, we need to be changing our system here in the UK, especially since we are now even more isolated than we were before. Uh, we aren't so flexible with how we solve things because we don't have neighbours to help us very easily anymore. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see what the government will do because it, uh, it is a Tory government. They don't like spending money because they accuse everybody else of spending too much money. Um, and even they realize that endless amounts of money spending their part would be hypocrisy that might actually lose them a vote or two. Okay, just one final point here before we move on. We had Quasi Quartang, who's the business secretary, say yesterday, uh, sorry, say today on Tuesday, that many UK households, and I'm going to quote him here, will face a very difficult winter. Yeah, yeah. With the fuel prices surging, as well as the £20 a week uplift in universal credit, which is coming to an end yep. in October, as well as the national insurance rise, yes. which is coming next year. Yeah. So, James... And as and food shortages. And food shortages. Um, which are going to be probably in place till beyond Christmas. But Boris says it might end a lot sooner than that. <sighs> Merry Christmas, everyone. It's going to be a rough, a rough season for a lot of people. Uh, I'm very lucky in that I live quite a bit below my means and therefore I'm, I've got that flexibility. But the number of households in the UK that do not and cannot live below their means... Uh, is huge. So we're going to be seeing uh, hundreds of thousands of people struggling over the next few months uh, to get the basic necessities, choosing between heating and food and choosing between electricity and uh, food and all those things. Uh, And I don't imagine that it's actually going to change anything and the Tories will remain in power forever. (laughs) People suffer, Tories continue to rule. Okay, let's uh, move on and, and briefly talk about the knock-on impact of what we're seeing with uh, the energy crisis in the UK. And this is the news that CO2 production is to restart at plants in the UK after uh, days of downed tools. This was CF Industries, who stopped work at two of its fertilizer factories, which supplies most of the CO2, the carbon dioxide, which is used in food production. So to to share the stats that I've learned, CO2 is actually widely used across food. It's used in brewing. It's used in packaging for meats and salads to prolong shelf life. Mm -hmm. All of these things that I was completely unaware of where, Not uh, just the fizzy juice. Absolutely. Supermarket bosses had warned that consumers were likely to see shortages in the coming days unless CO2 plants started producing again. So, James, this... Yeah. Uh, now, CO2 being a byproduct of the fertilizer production. Correct. Um, and the fertilizer production being not so profitable anymore, leading to these places to close down and focus on other markets. Yeah, so the news today is that the UK government has come to a deal with this US company, CF Industries, uh, to restart production to avoid, essentially, food shortages, which, again, James, I am... I mean, shocked, but also completely unsurprised that we're talking about food shortages 
in a September in Britain. Yeah, we've already seen this because of the supply chain issues that people keep saying is COVID's fault, but no other countries are quite having the same amount of supply issue as we are, at least none of our nearest neighbours, and therefore Brexit is probably a pretty, a pretty big part of the uh, the problem, and that's Brexit is a pretty big part of the reason why the uh, fertiliser production areas closed down, and now we're just going to be subsidising a foreign company to m- make fertiliser and CO2 so that we can keep on eating, maybe, if we're lucky. And it's just more money going from a very bad decision by the Tories to to put the their the entire nation at risk for the sake of securing votes, um, and the, all that money is going out of the country. And this is sensible spenders. The Tories are just going to give even more money to corporations from different nations to kind of maybe keep our supply chain afloat for the time being. Um, Again, lots of lessons to be learned. Hopefully we will learn the value of making sure that the things that we need to survive as a nation have a nationally owned option. I very much doubt that the Tories will learn that lesson, though. Yeah, it's it's funny, just the, my final point here, that uh, as you say, whilst this is a global energy crisis, the prices of the energy in the UK are rising much faster than in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is exacerbated by the fact that several gas platforms in the North Sea are closed for maintenance or have been paused yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, during the pandemic. We also had uh, cables that import energy from France, which were damaged last week. This month hasn't been very windy, which means less energy produced by turbines. And so rather than the electricity they would provide, uh, more gas is needed to produce the electricity. We've also had yeah. uh, a colder winter, which apparently hits the uh, stocks and and depleted them, high demand for natural gas from Asia. And finally, and this one I really liked actually because of the the visual, do you remember on Have I Got News For You, there was a shot in the opening credits of a Russian turning off the the gas, or no, sorry, twisting a a, a wheel and all the lights in Europe coming on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the the factors here which is being blamed is a reduction in supplies coming from Russia. Which, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> they control quite a lot of the gas supply. Um, that's why it's a Gazprom are trying to um, sponsor basically entire German football teams. Well, ever. no, I mean, Gazprom are are the sponsors of Schalke and also one of the main sponsors of the Champions League, which is the biggest yeah. club competition in the world. And um, they're trying to ingratiate themselves so they can get a new gas line put through the uh, Baltic Sea instead of through Ukraine, so that Ukraine has less control over like how much money we pay Russia. Um, it, it, like, this connects way back to, we've talked about this stuff for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and people have been talking about these problems for decades and talking about the importance of producing energy and everything we need locally by investing in green options. And we could have invested in green options, and yes, we have some wind um, available, but when that goes down, we're, we're, we're doomed. So we need diversity and all Boris is doing is saying that, hey, the rest of the world isn't doing green energy good enough. Follow our lead. We've got to do better. We should have been doing better decades ago. Thatcher knew that we should have been doing better, and she sucked. Okay, let's move on. Let's uh, cover one more story, uh, Scotland-based, before we head to lighter shores. Yeah. Let's talk about the orange walks that happened in Glasgow ah, yeah. over the weekend. So, for those of you who are fortunate enough to live outside of uh, our fair city, this was the uh, the news that thousands uh, yeah. of people yeah. marched through Glasgow at the weekend 
uh, Orange Order marches because they had been banned or prevented, I should say, from doing so over the course of the pandemic. So, Which makes sense. And, you know, hopefully any ban makes sense to anybody because it needs to be banned. Indeed, there were uh, <laughs> close to, I want to say, 100 marches uh, throughout the city. Wow. 32 roads were closed off for the uh, processions. And uh, yeah. we've now since had 14 different arrests largely for, um, it's a whole host of things, but included in that is racist and sectarian singing. So Surprise! This, indeed, these uh, have been condemned by everybody from the police to the Church of Scotland to the Catholic Church, and uh, it's been, the behaviour has been called utterly unacceptable, and arrests will continue to be made um, over the coming days. James, we've talked about the... Let's go for religious sentiment Mm -hmm. in Glasgow on this show before. Mm -hmm. The Orange Order, of course, are insisting their group is not anti-Catholic. And they've been doing parades in Glasgow for 200 years with very little trouble. Colin, they've always respected other points of views and opinions. There are so many different things I would want to pick on here, but we are limited by time. Right. However, the Orange Order, in certain situations... But even this weekend, over the course of the day, the parades went by three Catholic churches. Yeah. Uh, as, as in literally past the front door. Yeah. And uh, whilst, of course, you've got a legal right to march, but you can, you can time and you can reroute your parade to go on a route that avoids causing fear and alarm in the very community who you're essentially marching to celebrate a, a victory against. And, of course, that leads to the bigger idiots making it into something even more hateful. Right. We, we had in, in previous years, it was a story I covered, uh, one of one of these uh, marches in 2018, I believe. Right. Or maybe it was 2019. Someone from an Orange Order actually spat at a priest who was standing uh, outside one of these churches. Yeah. And uh, the Orange Order themselves, for those of you who are new to all this, to give you the explanation, is essentially uh, marching in remembrance of William of Orange. Yes. Who was... The king of England, Scotland, and Ireland in the 17th century, right. who I believe was descended from the Dutch, may well have been Dutch himself. And this march, which is usually the biggest march of the year, which takes place on July the 12th, is to remember the Battle of the Boyne, which was a battle in which William of Orange and his Orange men won against, I want to say, King James, who was a Catholic, yeah, and William of Orange, who was a Protestant. And the Protestants won, and they marched to celebrate the fact that they beat the Catholics. And that is essentially it. Yeah, because clearly is a really important oh, clearly. Uh, thing that definitely is worth marching over with as many people as possible um, to this day. Definitely. There's barely a single conflict since then that matters more. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a it's a momentous occasion. And, okay, okay. Uh, right. Truly worthy of bashing the, the drum over. Okay, let's let's get real, James, into the room. Uh, I I hate this march. I hate everything it represents. I understand that some people need to feel victorious for things sometimes, um, and I feel like far more should be done uh, from top to bottom in the whole nation to address things like this because usually. These kinds of hate groups, which this is, are exclusively um, tied together by a lack of identity available to its people. Yeah. So almost everybody here 
will have no other thing to identify themselves as generationally other than a member of the Orange Order or as a supporter of the Orange Order. And it'll be familial and it'll be historical for them and traditional for them. And those things matter and they're so hard to to remove someone from. But I don't see much effort to make another identity an option or to give people the means to uh, enjoy other parts of a life. Because imagine if there was other options for community events for these for, for a lot of these people especially the younger people uh, and the children imagine if they had more yeah. uh, diversity in their lives uh, by meeting more people rather than having this exclusive event that is the only thing that gives them their own unique identity and that's something that can be tackled and a lot of the rest of it can't be the history can't be removed okay. the the fact that it's happened for all this time and all the hate that can't be removed it can't be changed but we can alter uh, how the means that people have in their day-to-day life and and how much uh, they encounter the other and oftentimes the other is somebody that they might have hated the one final point i would make here is that the council glasgow city council does indeed have the power to alter a parade's route or the timing but decided not to do so yeah. a spokesperson for the council said the parades would be more disruptive if they took a different route. And we also had uh, Jim McCarg, who is the Grand Master of the Grand Orange Lodge, who said that uh, his organisation is based on uh, the motto of religious liberty Mm. and that we do not go past Catholic churches to cause any offence. It's most certainly not deliberate. We are not out to offend anyone. Yeah, right. But (laughs) what are they out to do? Because exactly. if you're celebrating a victory, what else are you doing but celebrating the victory? And therefore you are offending people who who you are seeing as the enemy who was crushed or defeated, right? Like I'd like to I'd like to hear more of them tell me what they actually think they're doing. Because I don't I don't actually know what they think they're doing. Like not truly. I only I only know the PR version. All right, James, let's move on. Let's talk about what we have been watching this past week. Yes. Now, we both have watched the same movie. We have. Which is amazing. And also, myself and Graham have rewatched Star Wars 7, or in his case, watching it for the first time. Oh, I watched Interstellar. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Also, uh, just, just at this point, I'd like to mention that uh, I was told by uh, my friend Murray Wilson, who listened to last week's podcast, mm-hmm. that um, yes. my views on the Matrix 4 trailer are trash and invalid because I haven't seen the second or third one, which <laughs> impacts apparently what happens in the trailer. Which, uh, I try okay. to give the main reasons, I guess. Yeah, it's hard to get the full context. That's true. I don't think he regarded your comments as trash, but I think he he may have said something about the games. Maybe maybe he just said you were wrong. I don't I don't I don't think I said anything too insulting about it. Okay, well we'll we'll go have to go back and listen. Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, talk about what we've been watching. <laughs> let's start with Wonder Woman 1984, which is on yeah. Now TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go and watch it. It's uh, came out on Christmas Day last year. Had uh, a non-existent cinema run in the UK, but you can now go and and stream it. James Give me your initial thoughts on this before I add some uh, some color and to give some details to the listeners. All right. Overall, uh, this film was underwhelming. Yep. Um, it didn't do really anything with any of the stuff it was setting up. It didn't explore any characters in any depth at all. And one of the main plots was actually quite disturbing. 
and troubling. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm interested to hear what that is, but let's. Uh, I'll give you some some more factoids here. So this is uh, the sequel to the 2017. I think it just means small facts, by the way. Factoids means lies. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Let me give you some. I'll give you some factoids. This is the sequel to The Dark Knight. <laughs> it's directed by uh, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and stars. <laughs> I was going to say Mr. Mr. Blobby, but let's not. That's uh, I lost it there. So this is uh, Patty Jenkins oh. directing the sequel. She did the original. It's a small fact. It's a small fact. Yes, indeed. Uh, Gal Gadot, of course, in the starring role. You've also got Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, and Pedro Pascal. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I am largely in agreement with you there, James. I watched this. I thought it would be a lot better than it was. Mm-hmm. I thought it was incredibly clunky with a mm-hmm. daft ending. And despite yeah. a handful, a very small handful, like a like a sand going through your fingers handful of bright sparks, were, yeah, this yeah, was yeah. very disappointing. Yeah. So, I, I, just, yeah. Just, just, sorry, just from my perspective, I'll tell, I'll tell you very quickly what I liked. Pedro Pascal, even with... Some really uh, material. The worst material, yeah. Is an excellent actor. I thought that was he my was main point. chewing scenery for days here and doing it very well. Yeah. And he was shining. Gal Gadot, despite some questionable politics and singing in the Imagine video. Oh, that's cringy. Don't remind me. She's a star. Like you look at her and you think, yeah, okay, fair enough. You you are you are playing Wonder Woman, and I can see why. Yeah, and she also can't act. I'm going to throw that out there. <laughs> uh, fair enough. And uh, <laughs> but ultimately, I thought Chris Pine's uh, doe-eyed wonderment at everything in the future was uh, was very endearing. And lastly, yeah, he did good. He did good. I thought Kristen Wiig, despite the fact that I think she is miscast as the villain mm-hmm. Cheetah, did give it her all. And she did. She, she may well be back the way the movie was written. So, so yeah. So, tell me, what did you uh, make of it before I give you a, a, again another brief yeah. summary? Okay. Similarly, I think the redeeming factor is everybody trying so hard to deliver the material. They really <laughs> were obviously trying their best, and and there yeah. were some really good moments with how they managed to deliver specific lines. I agree that the ending was completely ridiculous. Uh, I'm going to get into depth with that. It even didn't make sense on its own logic. Um, We'll we'll get into it once you reach that point. Uh, Remind me to tell you my my biggest gripe with the logic of the ending. Um, The part of the film that troubled me, even though it allowed Crispin, Crispin... to uh, do a real good job of acting and stuff is the body swap aspect. Okay, um, was really off-putting because I, I get it that they were trying to make a very eighties film, and I think they did make a very eighties film yeah, sometimes, sometimes in some of the ways that the characters are written and the and the storyline of a body swap is very eighties and all of those things. Uh, but we're in twenty twenty or in the twenty twenties. I I think when we're talking a lot about uh, right and wrong and consent and things like that it, you need to hammer it down more that wonder woman is doing a very bad thing by getting involved with the body swapped chris pine okay and they hint at it i think the overall part of the story is that wonder woman was doing a bad thing she was tempted and was being evil right. but they didn't really hammer it home um, and I think they really should have. So I thought, similarly to that, but but on a more um, script writing level, this uh, whole movie is uh, it, the, the sorry the entire romance story hangs on a man that she is desperately in love with, who died seventy years earlier. 
Yeah. Now, I think in the first movie, she had been with him for like a few months. Indeed. And to me, that seems a little bit off. But I appreciate you wanted to get Chris Pine back in this movie. Yeah, yeah, They've yeah. got a little bit of chemistry. So fair enough. Right. Yeah. Here's what I, here's what I hated okay. about this movie. Yeah. V- very quickly... The uh, heavy-handed, poorly handled Middle Eastern politics. Oh, yeah. The section where Wonder Woman learns how to fly. I hated that, yeah. The fact that the dialogue throughout is stilted and just badly delivered. The film is entirely devoid of humour in any way. Yeah. The action sequences are just kind of there. It's poorly blocked out, so you're never really sure where the characters actually are in the space they're fighting. Yes. The CGI of Cheetah, the villain, I thought was entirely unconvincing and terrible. The stuff that they were doing underwater, again, just badly shot, poorly lit, didn't think it was great. And the total lack of logic of the ending. So let me just talk about this ending and paint the picture for you, okay? Mm -hmm. So in this ending, Pedro Pascal, who is uh, the the co-villain, is delivering a speech on television at uh, supposedly some sort of White House or certainly with a White House, White House background, he is broadcasting to the whole world. Yes, and he is bellowing through through, through tech magic. They just make yeah, up something. Yeah, blah blah blah. Tech magic. He is speaking to everybody in the He's world. He's touching them via technology, <laughs> and uh, he is absolutely hollering at the top of his voice about wishing for whatever you want and you will get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, you know, at this point, there's so much energy in the room, paper is flying, Wonder Woman's barely able to move because the wind's so strong, and this guy, Pedro Pascal, is just giving it his absolute all. He is screaming at the the people who are watching at home, which, of course, when it cuts to the shots of people watching in their living room, it's just like a nice, normalised volume. It just sounds like he's he's chatting. (laughs) Then... When it comes to the to the very finale, well, we got to make it clear. When you wish, you you get what you want. Yes, he makes a bad condition, but the but you doom the world if anybody's wish is fulfilled. Their civilization is doomed. So every single person in the world who has made a wish is dooming their civilization while that wish is being fulfilled. Okay, I'm I'm less concerned with that and more about the the logic of this next bit. So as Pedro Pascal is getting into his kind of Aladdin genie esque form, yeah. Wonder Woman Aye. is sitting in the corner of this mm-hmm. whirlwind of a room with so much noise and chaos going around you, and she is delivering a monologue to the world like this. She's speaking like this and saying, "The world needs to understand." But it's via, it's via the whip. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> they need to understand that what they wish for has consequences, and she's delivering this in almost yeah. a whisper. And it's and it's also the way it's shot. It's as if it's a monologue straight to camera. It's, yes. She's breaking the fourth wall, yeah. speaking to the viewer, saying, "Yeah, you can be a better person. You just you just don't need to wish for it. Just do it. Just don't be such a terrible <laughs> terrible person." And then, by the power of of technology, despite the fact that all this is going on, no. her whisper has been has been broadcast but, but to the Colin, whole world. She's connected to the to to Pedro Pascal's ankle via the whip of truth. But he's not and a microphone. That, that obviously hijacked the whole technology and that makes good sense. <laughs> she was like sitting right? in the corner. The camera's not even pointed at her. The camera's still yep. pointing at the podium. And yeah, suddenly... but the, the truth, the whip was being broadcast. That's why all the screens turned gold. <laughs> right, okay. But the the entire, truth will set us free, Colin. The, the total lack of logic in that final segment. I'm sitting there being like, that's not how TV works. She's whispering. <laughs> you know She's what, not on camera. What? She's not even on shot. You know what sucked for me? 
They're panning around the world, seeing everybody like undoing their wishes because a hundred percent of the population was clearly convinced by this speech, which I don't believe. Um, which wasn't on camera, it wasn't mic'd up. Making it clear, every single person in the world had to hear her and believe her. We've established that one of the people who had a wish then died, right? Correct. <laughs> Someone wishes like all the Irish people would go away or whatever, and then she gets wished to death. Does she hear? Wonder Woman's reversal? Does she unwish the death while she's being uh, brought back to life over the course of the next little bit of time? I don't get it. I, no. I, and you could tell they were trying to set it up the whole time with how they, how deeply they were talking about truth and blah, blah, blah and all of that. Um, but none of the setups paid off. There was the armor. That was trash and didn't pay off. The whole intro, no idea what that was, didn't pay off. Um, I don't know how she learns to turn a thing invisible, but they just decided she could. I don't know how a short-range jet flew to Egypt, but they just decided it could. Um, I, I don't know, again, how she learned to fly, but they decided she could. This is another problem. You've got to earn these character changes and these these power growths and spikes. None of Nothing in the film put any effort into actually earning stuff. And even when they tried, they didn't make it pay off. It was it was cheesy and bad, but like not even the fun kind of cheesy. Just like you've tried to make an 80s film, but you've made a really bad one. But Colin, Colin, Pedro Pascal, he learned that what he wanted all along was a happy relationship with his son, which I actually kind of liked. But they didn't do a good job of that either. Yeah, it's it's one of the only plus points I had was the emotional heart of Pedro Pascal. He's, he's such a good actor that he actually pulled that off. But one final point, just to add to that, the opening scene with Robin Wright, totally unnecessary. The only reason they had that scene in was to get Robin Wright back in the movie despite the fact she was killed off in the first one totally pointless did not like this and the more I talk about this movie the more I realize I hated it yeah yeah like I hadn't thought about it very much since but I am getting to the point where I actually don't just nothing to film I I hate it as well (laughs) okay dear listener if you have seen a movie a tv show anything you would like to review then please do send it to us either in written form or an audible audible in audible form (laughs) yeah send us an audio book um, release it via Amazon's Audible network. Um, <laughs> just read to us, please. Yes, please. Do get those reviews in. One more film for you. I'm going to keep it short. Myself and Graham have watched Star Wars 7, yeah. uh, which came out in 2016. It's the first of the new ones, which was called... I'm really <laughs> struggling to remember what it's called. I don't even remember. <laughs> It's called... I honestly cannot remember. Uh, I'm going to have to look this up. It's not The Last Jedi. I know. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to go backwards in time. What's it called? The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. Uh, we got there. And James's brain awakens too. Yeah, so we watched this yes. as a part of our watching Star Wars in order, even though I'm being told that actually watching it 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 is not the right order. But anyway... Yeah, okay, yeah, you watch... Uh, four, five, then one, two, three, then six. Correct. Anyway, I think. yeah, yeah. We yeah. we start watching the, the this was a this was a film of two opinions because we started watching the film and after forty five minutes, Graham fell asleep. Understandable. The next day, I stopped it because I was I was quite enjoying it. Right. The, the next day, we tried again and we watched the rest of it. And uh, I was going to start with Graham's uh, reaction first. He said, "I hated that." I said, "Why? Why did you hate it?" And he said, "Well, I didn't like the fact that uh, Ray." And Finn, their whole, like, romance, not romance plot. Right, yeah, yeah. He also hated the fact that they basically just blew up a Death Star, except it was bigger. Again, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought, yep, fair enough. And uh, 
I, I think just the also he he just didn't like Kylo Ren. He, he thought Kylo Ren was underwhelming oh. compared to the the sheer force of force of evil of Darth Vader, which I disagreed with. I thought Kylo Ren was much better because he actually has light and shade. And he's conflicted and he's complicated and he's got lots of issues. Yeah, he is less menacing. Yeah. He's less scary. So there is the positive and negatives, but I don't. Yeah, I think I think Kylo is like the good part of these films. So so having watched the Force Awakens back, and I do recall at the time I enjoyed it. I did enjoy this movie. Yeah. I think it's got it's got problems, but largely I think it's pretty good. And do you know what one of the the first things I noticed? This Star Wars, this new Star Wars, there is one Marvel-esque joke and it's 5 minutes in and there's not a single attempt for the rest of the movie. The rest I know, of the, right? the only other bits of humor are kind of Han Solo being Han Solo, which having watched the previous 6 films, He's it's a thing. It's a thing. It's it's the kind of comments he makes, and that's fine. Yeah. So he's a snarky boy. So I actually did enjoy this. And I thought the way they introduced characters. Yeah. And sure, they kind of did the whole Death Star thing again, but it's fine. Yes. Like they did nothing new. You've you've got to kind of give the rebels something to do, whilst you give the lead characters something more important to do. Yeah. And I felt like the way they established the new people was good. And honestly, I enjoyed it. So yeah. I'm interested to see, and I'm pretty sure I know why the films go from uh, good to bad to terrible over the next couple. So I enjoyed it though. I liked yeah, it. Yeah, it's good to revisiting them. Yeah, it's a, it's a passable film. If you, if you if you just don't care very much, it's an enjoyable film. It's very much put your brain off, enjoy the spectacle. And that's what J.J. Abrahams does. Yeah. He makes a, a good action piece with the very loosest of actual plots to tie the different elements together and to make the characters what they are. But he did a lot of setup. He established some characters. He gave them traits. He, he uh, had an idea of what to do with them um, that the next films could have invested in. But then... Uh, they didn't um so yeah this film's for me it's always just gonna be like i en- it's, it's i enjoy it but i don't think it's anything special at all i don't think there's a standout element that is you know revolutionary okay we're running out of time i'm gonna quickly put zelda out so hang on a second okay what's gonna say i can hear zelda she's an hour early i don't have a clue what she's going for and she's actually like <laughs> slapping the desk and stuff as well okay you're back magic of editing uh tell me you've watched interstellar who was it uh interstellar was Good. I like that film. I, I don't think there's many elements of like plot or character or this or that that I don't like. I think they justify their decisions pretty well. The overall logic of the film is acceptable, even though I'm not quite sure how some of it actually works in the in the theory. Fair enough. Uh, they do throw away a character or two a little bit, some underused uh, individuals or underused threads, but, you know, they had to fit in a whole lot of stuff into the runtime even though it's quite long but my goodness was it a big old reminder that i hate the way nolan does his dialogue uh-huh one he doesn't write it very strongly his, his dialogue isn't always on point and then two I, I i hate the fact that he insists on using the actual performance because sometimes the actual performance is inaudible what, what you, you just can't even hear so, it so sorry you mean as in, instead of going into the editing suite and getting the actor to redo the line in a yeah. studio like mine... Which is the most common thing ever. He, he, yeah. just, he just uses the actual on-set performance. If he doesn't, then I don't understand how the audio is this bad. Um, so to me, sorry, just to me, I believe, and this is for anyone who's unsure of this, this is uh, the same guy who did uh, more recently, Tenet mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Dunkirk, which I would say Interstellar and Tenet were both criticised 
for having lines of audio which you were actually unable to hear what yeah. was going on. And yeah. I believe there is a, a simple solution, or rather, a simple reason for this. Christopher Nolan and his editing team will be doing this in a massive old studio with the best speakers possible. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure to yeah, them, they they've good. got the balance just right between Hans Zimmer falling asleep on an organ mm-hmm. versus the the audio of the the characters on the screen but as soon as you put that to just a regular tv or a laptop it's the organ which is going to win every time exactly but even i think even people watching it in imax complain about the films like they 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 are not doing a good job um and they're not even considering people who don't watch it with the most expensive sound systems but I, i am pretty sure that people watch these in imax and then still come out like couldn't couldn't catch a lot of the important lines. Didn't know what was going on. Yep. Um, so that was the main thing I, I didn't like. Um, but overall, it's, it's a it's a very very good film. Um, one of his good ones for sure. Um, far more understandable and and far more justified in its existence than the likes of Tenet, which was just more of a tech showcase. Yeah. The the, the performances were convincing and good. The story was eh, predictable, but it worked out in the end. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy the film. Um, the score is great. The uh, the work they do with the shots and the uh, the action scenes or the uh, spectacle, all incredible. Yeah, like definitely a very very well executed film in almost every way except hammy dialogue with uh, most of it. Well, not not most. Some of it completely uncatchable. I had to like rewind and turn on subs. Is it fair, or rather, I remember at the time. The reviews were kind of positive, but a lot of people saying, "Nah, this is not that good." Do you think this film has aged well? I think it's aged. I think it's aged pretty well. I think a few of the things that have been going on over the last the the years since it came out have made it a little bit more believable in some of its logical setups. Okay. Um, I think as we've had more um high high-level sci-fi and space films come out. Uh, some of the things that it's relying on the audience to understand uh, actually make more sense to us now. Um, I, I, I do think that going back to watch it now, it will be a better experience than it might have been when it first came out. I, I think it is better than its initial reviews made it out to be. Um, but maybe people wanted another Batman film or something. Okay, one final story before we move on to finish up with some other news. Uh, the Queen's Gambit, which uh, James, you reviewed on this show and rather enjoyed, yeah. is uh, now in the courts because the Georgian chess legend Nonna Gaprindashvili, who made history as the world's first ever female grandmaster, has alleged that the show belittled her career and has damaged her reputation which with it did. one sentence. So uh, Gaprindashvili is uh, now suing Netflix for defamation, invasion of privacy, and according to a 25-page complaint, uh, this case is focused on a scene towards the end of the final episode. So, James, you're going to have to explain exactly what this final sentence, or this one sentence says Ah. that is so defamatory. The show, which, by the way, is one of those shows that over time I like less the more I think about it. Interesting. Um, But we'll maybe get into that another time, who knows. Um... Is trying to set up its its lead as this like brilliant individual who is doing an entirely new thing that's never been seen before. What is this? A female who's good at chess, um, and to do it, they're having a. Tr- I think it's during the tournament in in Russia. Um, the people on the mic who are doing the exposition for us, but in the show or uh, the radio announcers or whatever, 
are talking about her and they're saying that uh, nobody's ever done this before. Uh, she's the first female to be facing a man. Uh, this kind of a challenge. Now there is, they say there is, and they name Gaprin Dashvili or whatever. They say uh, she's kind of done it. This this Russian lady, Gashprin Dashvili or whatever, has kind of done it, but she's never even played against men. Yes, um, that's the line. She, so she's taking pretty big offense, and I think pretty justified offense, to the fact that they labeled her as Russian, yep. even though at the time she and uh, uh, many other Georgians were being oppressed by the Russians, yep. uh, had actually played against a lot of men, 50-something, and had also played against 20 of them simultaneously. Or something along those lines. So to uh, to give the facts there, she had played fifty nine men yeah. by this point in nineteen nineteen sixty three, and uh, in one case had played twenty eight men simultaneously Indeed. and won. The interesting thing is, I don't think the dialogue is being presented as fact. I think it is being presented as the announcer in the show is saying this, and the announcer is saying it to a fictional radio broadcast or something. Okay, but the audience might believe it as fact. And it's whether or not the courts think that it is being presented as convincingly factual enough to like, ruin her name as the pioneer of female chess that she was um, that, that will make the decision here. Because, you know, the line is incredibly bad if people are believing it. And I don't understand why the line was written because it wasn't in the source material. It's not true. So what was the point of writing it if you aren't just trying to hype up your own fictional character at the cost of somebody real? That That's exactly it. They wanted to hype up their lead character, Anna Taylor-Joy, uh, who is this? the female protagonist, by essentially saying, hey, this fictional character is the first person ever to have done this. Because if they said, oh, actually, uh, Nona Goprindishvili has done this already, it would have, in their mind, lessened the yeah. stakes, or lowered the stakes, I should say. And that kind of seems a bit like defamation to me. They were invested <laughs> in making someone else's name less important at the sake of making their fictional character's name more important. Um, and that... Like, it's just lazy writing. Um, and uh, the more I think about the show, the more lazy writing I, th- I, I discover. But hey, it won a bunch of awards. <laughs> okay, James, let's finish up. Time is disappearing so very quickly. Let's move on to diplomatic incidents and start with Australia yeah. defending its decision to scrap a multi-billion dollar submarine purchase from France. <laughs> in favour of a new deal yeah. with the US and the UK. So this deal, which is called AUKUS, yeah. which is uh, very awkward for the Aussies, oh because uh, they've now had the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, having to reject accusations that Australia lied to France. And he's now said well. the French should have been aware that the Aussies were prepared to break the deal they made. Really? Uh, France, ever since, uh, have said that the uh, the AUKUS pact has led to a serious crisis between the Allies, and they have recalled all their ambassadors from the US and Australia as a sign of protest. However, well, yeah. they did not recall their ambassadors from the UK because they described the UK as the third wheel, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> it's very telling of our new position in the world. <laughs> Indeed, the third wheel of the world. Okay, James, give me your thoughts on this because this is an absolute mess. Uh, yeah, a big thought made small is that, yeah, I can see why France is a little bit very insulted here. They they had a good pile of money going their way and then somebody else came in and went, hang on, how about we get that money instead? And they got it instead. Mm-hmm. So if I was France, I too would be upset. 
for not even like getting to have a seat at negotiating this, not have a chance at kind of like being involved, maybe being invited to the party, or maybe offering a, a, a counter offer to whatever it was that the Aussies jumped ship for. Um, or jumped submarine for. J- jumped sub for, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I think the Australians are doing something important here, which is like building up the presence of opposition to China. And it is a bit of a big, I'm going to say big mistake that they, they insulted a key ally in doing so. They, they probably should have communicated things a whole lot better. Um, and it's kind of weird to me that they're trying to blame the French. Like, <laughs> why didn't they duck when I threw the brick at their head, you know? So this deal that uh, Australia had with France was signed in 2016, was worth 37 billion euros, and French uh, French shipbuilders would have uh, constructed 12 submarines yeah. Yeah. for Australia. I think that just I think just though conventional submarines, whereas this new deal Indeed. with the US and the UK means that Australia will now have the technology to build nuclear powered submarines. Yay. And this, as you say, James, I mean, great news for the world. I mean, nuclear uh, power is as bad as you know nuclear weapons i'll give them that right precisely but anyway the 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 fact they're doing this is a way of uh countering china yeah and their influence in the hotly contested south china sea which has uh, been going on for decades and will continue to go on for the rest of time so james until china wins it all yeah yeah this this is as you say incredibly clumsy Uh, we've had uh, lots of strong words from various politicians uh, across all the countries with uh, the French government demanding explanations and Joe Biden mm-hmm. expected to speak to Emmanuel Macron uh, at some point this week about everything that's happened. And I, mean, I guess we might follow up if any of those words are dramatic or interesting. But, you know... We, we've had China accusing the three powers of having a Cold War mentality. Is that fair? Kind of, but if they don't want a Cold War mentality, they should stop trying to expand their uh, their their borders at the sea and take over other people's islands and other people's areas, right? Uh, so that seems that seems a little lukewarm, not even cold. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about the US, who, uh, as we talked about when this first broke, the US have finally admitted that a drone strike in Kabul in August, days before its military pullout, the final military action or the military strike in Afghanistan yeah. did indeed kill 10 innocent people. Yeah. So a uh, investigation found an aid worker, nine members of his family, including seven children, died in the drone strike on August 29th. One of them was two. Yeah, the youngest, Samaya, was was two. And that's uh, absolutely horrendous. It's just so telling. It shows us what our priorities are, and it's just kill stuff if we feel like we can. Like, we don't even view them as humans when it comes to um, like the military level of stuff. They, they took this long to tell us exactly how many people were killed. They should have known it before. So a, a surveillance drone saw men loading what they said appeared to be explosives into the boot of the car. Turned out... Yeah, yeah. It was containers of water. Which is something that the guy did regularly, right? He's an aid worker, yeah. It's a disgusting thing. Um, I don't know who's going down, but somebody and many people need to have their entire careers, if not freedoms, uh, in question for things like this. Um, I don't think there's anything you can do as a nation to make up for this kind of a malicious act, never mind the fact that it's just one of thousands of strikes that have killed civilians. Yep. It's yep. disgusting. 
like honestly and my some of my taxpayer money goes to supporting these military efforts and granted this was a u.s strike so i probably didn't pay any of the pennies needed to kill these people but my tax money supported it and that disgusts me there was a film a few years ago called eye in the sky which was, I believe, one of Alan Rickman's final performances. Also has Helen Mirren and Aaron Paul in it. Right. And in that movie, it's it's very very good, but it uh, it demonstrates or rather attempts to paint the picture of what a difficult decision it is. You know, there's a bad guy in the house, and you've got a drone, but there's also a child next to the house. What do you do? And for ninety minutes. They attempt to figure out how can we kill this bad person yeah. without killing the child. But it seems that if they were to reshoot that movie in 2021, they would just blow up the whole house. <laughs> blow up the whole house, one minute film, uh, and they would call it a righteous strike. And then the credits would be like, actually, the dude was just a civilian too. Yep. Okay, let's move on. That's really upsetting, disappointing news. But it, again, it all, it all is. And we're supporting many other wars still and many civilians are dying on our on our dime still like my our pennies are paying for people's lives to this day and they will continue to okay another few stories the parents of harry dunn have reached a resolution in a civil claim for damages with the woman who was alleged to have killed mm-hmm. him so we talked about the story a few times this was the uh, the 19 year old harry who died when his motorbike was hit by, was hit by a car yeah. driven by us citizen Anne Sakulis near an raf base in 2019 she then fled the country and claimed diplomatic immunity she was married i believe to a, a us air force uh, employee and now this uh, agreement has been reached. Details haven't been disclosed. But I would imagine, James, this is some sort of financial settlement. I would imagine, yeah. Um, and it's probably still just one step on the path. This is them s- settling yeah. their civil case. I, I'm sure they will continue um, until Resolution has had to fight this in terms of getting actual charges. Um, at least maybe. Maybe you're not allowed to anymore. I'm not quite sure how this works internationally. Um, but if it helps them feel any sort of resolution at all or any sort of peace at all, then well done to them. Um, I cannot believe that this kind of thing is allowed to happen and that the people in the power in the US and the UK did barely anything to try and bring this uh, situation around. It is so sad that it's part of justice is money. Yeah. I get that that's important, but also... it. <laughs> It's never going to recoup what you lost. No. And I find it, no. you know, even reading that story and saying, oh, they've come to a financial settlement. I'm thinking, oh, yeah. I don't know, just part of me just felt a bit sad about that. It is sad. And the only thing I think we can hope for as people who haven't experienced this is just the fact that it's settled means that they know the other party is recognizing that they are they have guilt in the matter. Right. And I imagine that feeling is important. Okay, let's uh, wrap up some quickfire stories. In Scotland this weekend, we could well see soldiers driving ambulances because the service is uh, now experiencing pressure unseen or unexpected. And uh, as I was hearing on the radio this morning, in some cases, it's the first time they've seen it as bad as this in 30, 40 years, or perhaps the worst ever. Yes. Uh, This is because calls to the uh, ambulance service, the 999 line, have gone up something by uh, 10,000 extra calls this summer alone. Yeah. And uh, some of the stories we've been hearing this week, including a granddad who had to wait 
40 hours for an ambulance to to come and get wow. him, as well as a woman in Inverkip who lay on a floor with a broken hip for eight hours before an ambulance came to get her. So, James, yeah. this uh, suggestion or this plan, which looks like it's happening, will see soldiers drive and paramedics and other trained technicians right, do the yeah. medical stuff. But this is clearly unsustainable. I, I'm assuming it is just intervene now until we can actually increase the capacity of the service or improve the, the, the uh, efficiency of the service sometime in the future. And I, and I hope it is. And yeah. it's another one of those instances where the NHS across the nation in Scotland and then across the UK is incredibly strained. Uh, we didn't really have any overhead to begin with because it was all under under um, budgeted for and everything was already strained before a pandemic hit. And now that we're having to deal with a pandemic, we've uh, run out of resources. And we like it's strange to me that over the start of the pandemic, we didn't actually improve the service dramatically in preparation for the inevitable uh, strain or an extra strain. Yep. I'm sure there was more that could have been done. Uh, it is good that there's things happening now. And I can only hope that, you know, we will resolve this and improve the service. Um, and it's always just going to be done by investing. You, you can't just like hope that things get more efficient on their own. Uh, just to, before we move on, the story of the granddad waiting 40 hours, it turned out he died. He didn't actually. Uh, he did. The, the yes. ambulance was there. 40 hours later and he died. Yeah, I think some of the problem is that there are different levels of emergency, basically. Yeah. And it's kind of judged by the people who are calling as well as the operator what level of emergency the thing is. And oftentimes that does lead to people who should be at the top of the queue being further down the queue and therefore getting less priority and therefore getting an ambulance way later than they should have. But even then, the 40 is inexcusable. Even if he was given the long, wrong level of priority, that should be the difference between like 30 minutes and a couple of hours, as far as I care. Yep. Vaccine passports are coming into force in Scotland at 5am on October 1st. And Nicola Sturgeon today has urged venues to use common sense when checking vaccine passports. Hmm. Uh, also setting out details of where and when they will be required. James, you'll be uh, heartened to know the Scottish government have now come to a conclusion of what is a nightclub which is oh, good stuff. Uh, it's a venue which is open between midnight and 5am, which serves alcohol and has a designated area for dancing. Uh, so they didn't really take into account people who work the night shift and therefore think nighttime is daytime. Uh, correct. Yes, that is, that is true. The definition sounds fair to me. Obviously, still receiving a lot of backlash. Some venues saying <laughs> yeah. it's unworkable. Is it? I believe it'll be the kind of thing which ultimately will just become another, hey, can you scan this QR code to check in? Thanks. It'll be, hey, can you show us your QR code? Thanks. Indeed. And we'll just get on with it. Yeah. I, I don't think this is as big a problem as many of the uh, complainers are suggesting it is. Uh, but then again, they're probably immensely struggling already to have uh, much revenue and therefore any tiny little extra thing that makes it harder for them is going to feel awful. And hey... Uh, uh, my sincerest apologies, people's health matters. And ending the show on a positive note, the number of billionaires has gone up by 13%. Oh, yay! You know what? I thought there was a global crisis, but that kind of thing would only happen if everything was okay. Indeed, yes. Yeah. So this uh, this pandemic turned out to be uh, a windfall to billionaire the wealth. Rich. Wow. So this, uh, a new report from uh, WealthX has found the number of global billionaires rose above 3,000 in 2020. And the world's richest increased their collective wealth by almost 6%. Unreal. Which is disgusting. 
It is. It, it, honestly, the system is so bad. And globally, and what on earth are we supposed to do to try and tackle this? Well, I mean, at, at this point, I think we're beyond saving. No, yeah, no, the world is doomed. Uh, and we as a species are doomed. <laughs> we're, we're in damage reduction mode, yeah. We're like, we're, we're trying to make sure that at least some of us will survive eventually. Like, <laughs> generations time, the, the population might be like incredibly under s- severe stress, decreasing, uh, herded into tiny livable areas for all we know we are on damage control um, and the the inequality is only making it worse I, I saw a story this week we didn't include it because cop 26 is just around the corner but boris johnson of all people was apparently going to speak to the united nations to say hey western countries can you please at least try i know to somehow meet your climate change targets and I just thought, what state are we in? And I looked into the story, and it turned out yeah. that actually not a single country is on target to... Uh, sorry, I'll rephrase. Not a single Western country mm-hmm. or a develop, developed country is on track to hit any of their targets for CO2 emissions. If anything, they're going up. Yeah. And the biggest polluters, the likes of China, Russia, Mexico, India, are only getting worse. So, yes. ultimately, we're all screwed, James. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, it hurts. No, it genuinely, it's like, it hurts, so, it hurts so bad that you can't help but think how ridiculous it is that there are all of these people uh, with massive amounts of money or power and the only thing they're interested in is making sure that they don't risk that power or risk that money. They want to make sure that even if they start investing in green energy, it's not going to be a little bit of political damage for them or it's not going to cost their bank account and it is actually an investment that will make them even more rich in the future. Which is why I always suggest that the only way to solve this crisis is to make it profitable to all of these corporations, all of these mega rich individuals to invest in carbon capture and invest in green energy. We need to pay them more for that than they would ever get from burning coal and burning oil and all of these uh, things. But also like we need to be investing into replacing all of their meat production and improving those things and just improving everything in general and nobody's doing it. And Boris is saying to everybody, hey, you all do better. Are we a nation? Yes. Did we meet any of our goals in terms of the, the the climate agreement yet? No, we're also the bad ones. He's just trying to get a little bit of good PR. Well, everyone should just take a leaf out of our book, look at you, big global corporations, and do good things for free because you want to help people. In our case, entertain people. In- indeed. And inform people for free. For free. Unless you want to give us money, in which case that's totally fine. Yeah, you know, we might, you might know my address. Just send a fiver in the mail. Okay, James, we're out of time as usual, but thank you very much for all your thoughts, contributions, <sighs> opinions, facts, factoids. Overwhelming one, <laughs> probably a lot of factoids by accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, I'll see you next week. Uh, bye bye. We should offer my Hancock a job. <laughs>